If you're tired of these promos, supporters get the podcast early and ad-free. Just go to donate.bogosity.tv for the links to sign up. Welcome to the Bogosity Podcast for the week of 23 January 2022. The podcast that changed speed limit signs to smooths per fortnight. This is your host, Shane Killian. Let's contraindicate the news of the bogus. So let's do a quick review of the COVID lab leak hypothesis. Twice before, with SARS and MERS, bad coronaviruses jumped species over to humans and caused a lot of problems. It stands to reason that virologists would want to study them to know how they could develop transmissibility over to humans. This is done by examining bad coronaviruses in a lab through gain-of-function research. One way is just to grow them in cultures of human cells and see how they adapt. Another way is to give them a little help by splicing genes from a similar virus. Early on in the pandemic, there were conspiracy theories about SARS-CoV-2 being engineered to cause a deliberate pandemic. There wasn't any rational basis for these, and some were debunked on this podcast. But a better theory was always an inadvertent lab leak where a virus being studied accidentally infected a lab worker who went out into the world and infected others. That's actually happened a handful of times over the last half century or so. Russian scientists were studying the H1N1 flu virus when it got away from them, causing the 1977-78 pandemic that killed 700,000 people. Soon after, a lab leak in England resulted in several people getting the vaccine strain of smallpox, although it was limited to less than 100 people in Birmingham. Encephalitis in South America in 1995, the vaccine strain of the first SARS in China in 2002, and again in Singapore in 2003, foot and mouth in the UK in 2007, and a few others. Lab leaks have happened. They don't happen as often as zoonotic transfers, so that's where the prior probability lies, but you never stop with a prior. You investigate and then determine the posterior probability and then reach your conclusion. Unfortunately, the modern censorship machine has effectively shut down any inquiry into the origins of SARS-CoV-2, even to the point of sending the virtual mobs to cry, CONSPIRACY THEORY and RACISM against senators and others who ask the questions of experts like Anthony Fauci, who have hemmed and hawed and evaded at every turn. And now we know why. From the start, many scientists were suspicious that SARS-CoV-2 originated from a lab leak and emailed other scientists about it, including Fauci. And they were shut down from even discussing it for, get this, international harmony. They didn't want to offend China. The emails were obtained by the House Oversight Committee after complaining that their content had been heavily redacted when released under FOIA. One of the emails was from Dr. Jeremy Farrar, director of the Wellcome Trust. On 2 February 2020, he said in an email that a leak from a low-security virology lab was, quote, a likely explanation. The email was to Fauci and Dr. Francis Collins, director of the NIH. He believed the lab had been evolving coronaviruses and, quote, accidentally created a virus primed for rapid transmission between humans. He was shut down, being told by Collins that it would damage international harmony. Dr. Ron Fuchier emailed Farrar saying, quote, Further debate about such accusations would unnecessarily distract top researchers from their active duties, 
and do unnecessary harm to science in general and science in China in particular. But the harm done to science is when debate is shut down and investigation stifled. Farrar summarized the concerns of Professor Mike Farzan of Scripps Research, who discovered how the original SARS binded to human cells. His concern involved the furin cleavage site, a part of the spike protein which helps it enter human cells. Farrar said, quote, He is bothered by the furin site and has a hard time explaining that as an event outside the lab, though there are possible ways in nature, but highly unlikely. I think this becomes a question of how do you put all this together? Whether you believe in this series of coincidences, what you know of the lab in Wuhan, how much could be in nature, accidental release, or natural event. I am 70-30 or 60-40. Eddie Holmes of the University of Sydney also gave it 60-40. Professor Bob Gary of the University of Texas said, quote, I just can't figure out how this gets accomplished in nature. Professor Andrew Rambo of the University of Edinburgh said that the furring cleavage site, quote, strikes me as unusual. I think the only people with sufficient information or access to samples to address it would be the teams working in Wuhan. These emails show that as early as 2 February 2020, scientists connected with the U.S. and U.K. governments were working to shut down all debate into the mere possibility of a lab leak. The institutions which have held the emails, many of them public, have resisted efforts to have them published. In particular, the University of Edinburgh turned down a FOIA request from the Telegraph saying, quote, This course would be likely to endanger the physical or mental health and safety of individuals. Say what? It's still speculative, and we're no closer to an answer than we ever were, but this shows that very early on in the pandemic, Scientists were taking the lab leak hypothesis seriously, and other scientists shut them down. They seriously need to let Assange go. We've never needed WikiLeaks more than we do now. If you're looking for a way to support this channel, but you don't have any spare cash and you can't stand ads, you can do so by generating your own cryptocurrency. Use the links at the bottom of the description to follow the link to odyssey.com to listen to the podcast and see all of my YouTube videos as well. Just watching videos will produce cryptocurrency for the creator and yourself. And since Odyssey is always monetized and never censored, you'll have no problem seeing all the videos from your favorite creators. You can also use the library credits you created Odyssey to tip creators and even purchase paid content. Earn library credits through various rewards, including daily view rewards and the number of shares and invites. And you can interact with creators in all sorts of ways, including like and dislike, comment, boost a post by supporting it, repost it, and share to other sites, all while earning crypto for the creator. Easily monetize yourself and your favorite creators using cryptocurrency without advertising. Use the link below to visit this channel on odyssey.com and see many of your other favorites there as well. A report from the Senate Committee on Small Business and Entrepreneurship has released a much-needed report called The Hidden Tax, Inflation's Effect on American Families and Small Businesses. Compiled by ranking member Rand Paul, it uses data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics regarding the Consumer Price Index which, as we covered, rose 7% in the year prior to December 2022. 
the largest increase in four decades. It also looks at the producer price index, the prices that businesses have to pay for various goods and services, and found that for them, prices rose 9.7% over 2021, the largest calendar year increase in the history of the index. The report goes over several points, the first being the main culprit, COVID-19 stimulus. Quote, The Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco published a study in October 2021 looking at the effects of the American Rescue Plan on price increases. This study concluded that the $1.9 trillion package, representing just a fraction of the total funds spent on COVID relief, pushed prices at least 0.3 percentage points higher. The Federal Reserve has indicated in its December 2021 meeting that they will end their period of COVID stimulus and focus on fighting inflation. The second point is, quote, Inflation disproportionately harms low- and middle-income families. It mentions that 71% of households making under $40,000 have indicated financial hardships from rising prices and that low- and middle-income families spend a greater portion of their income on high-inflation items like gasoline, used cars, and food. The third is that inflation disproportionately harms small businesses. 82% of small businesses reported raising prices 42% by 20% or more, and 45% reported taking out a loan to cope with rising producer prices, while the largest corporations report consistent profit margins. Quote, This report concludes that, though no formal tax has been levied to pay for the government's recent spending trends, a hidden regressive tax has been levied on the American public, charging more from low- and middle-income families and small businesses and less from wealthy families and big businesses. The report also says, quote, While various groups and pundits have tried labeling the recent increases as transitory or temporary, Federal Reserve policymakers indicated in December that they would begin to combat rising prices, marking an end to their era of pandemic-related stimulus efforts. Interest rates, which are currently set near zero to encourage employment, are expected to rise three or four times throughout the course of this year in an effort to combat inflation. In addition to signaling rising rates, Federal Reserve policymakers also put an abrupt end to the bond-buying program, which the Federal Reserve had been using to shovel money into the economy to encourage spending. This program will come to a complete halt by March of 2022. These actions signaled by the Federal Reserve's December meeting seem to suggest the Federal Reserve's skepticism of the transitory nature of rising prices. Considering that it took until now for them to consider it, when they should have done it 13 years ago to fix the financial system, this is really saying something. They apparently don't think they can kick the can down the road anymore. As for small businesses, quote, The National Federation of Independent Business reported in their monthly survey that 54% of surveyed businesses plan on increasing prices in the near future. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce Small Business Index found that, in efforts to mitigate the effects of inflation, 45% of small business owners have reported taking a loan to cope with the effects of inflation, and 41% have reported decreasing the size of their labor force. While larger businesses have the economies of scale necessary to adapt to changing conditions and access to inexpensive capital to help them do it, small businesses often operate with thin margins and are often financed with the personal assets of its owner. Sustained inflation is more likely a fatal blow to small businesses squeaking by than larger corporations entrenched in their economies of scale. 
The report does a good job of explaining why inflation is a hidden regressive tax. Quote, $4.9 trillion in COVID-19 stimulus spending has led to one of the highest and sustained levels of inflation in U.S. history. Though government stimulus spending was intended as a form of relief, and low- and middle-income families as well as small business owners were promised that their taxes would not increase as a result of these packages, Americans are now paying a hidden tax for these policies. This price of these measures is high to all, but low- and middle-income households and small business owners are responsible for a higher share than their wealthy counterparts. Further spending in this time of rapidly rising prices is to impose an even higher tax on this nation's already vulnerable small business owners and low- and middle-income families. In the words of Milton Friedman, there is no such thing as a free lunch. Actually, Robert Heinlein said it before Friedman, but whatever. It's nice to see that someone in the government has a lick of sense about this. Not that anyone in the news media is pointing this out. I did a Google News search for the title of this report. Zero results. A more general search bore better fruits, but none in the mainstream media like CNN or MSNBC. Meanwhile, a search for Biden and inflation results in Biden putting sole blame on the Fed and headlines such as this one in the New York Times. As prices rise due to inflation, Biden turns to antitrust enforcers. So in all likelihood, very few people will even know about this. They'll only hear the blame being put on evil, greedy capitalism, as usual. If you're on the Wi-Fi in a coffee shop or hotel, anyone on that network can get your traffic. Do you really trust all of those strangers? For that matter, do you really trust your ISP? A VPN can protect you from prying eyes, disguise your location, and even foil government censors. It's essential in this day and age, so go to vpn.pagosity.tv and you'll be taken to BoxPN. Starting at just $2.99 a month, you can get unlimited high-speed connections to VPN servers all over the world, and they don't log connections, so your privacy is assured. Traveling abroad, just VPN home, and don't worry about what those other governments are doing. Back at home, stop your ISP from traffic shaping and messing with the quality internet access you're paying good money for. You can connect from multiple machines at once, including your smartphone or tablet, and it supports all the secure standards, including OpenVPN and SSTP. Bypass sensors and surveillance with your own secure VPN connection. Go to vpn.pagosity.tv. And speaking of Biden, his latest news conference earned him D and F grades from independents who said he seemed out of touch with the American people. It was his first press conference in 300 days. He probably should have stayed hidden in his basement. Laughably, he claimed his administration has outperformed his promises and made enormous progress. This at a time when actual people are dealing with not only high inflation, but increasing tyrannical measures spurred on by the relatively harmless Omicron variant and the laughable performance of his agenda in Congress. So why were people saying otherwise? Biden said, quote, We passed a lot of things that people don't even understand. Yeah, you're just too stupid to understand how brilliant his policies are. He blamed inflation on the supply chain, which he had a large hand in breaking, but, as we just covered, has more to do with his stimulus program than anything else. 
He kept pretending that the problems were somehow the result of COVID itself rather than his policies and the policies of other Democrats such as Gavin Newsom. Democrats unthinkingly supported the message, but independents and Republicans both gave him a grade of F. According to Lee Carter, president of marketing firm Maslansky & Partners, quote, They said he seemed so out of touch. What he said is simply untrue. They're just simply not buying his message. Biden went on to say that the reason the country hasn't improved is because he hasn't been able to get Republicans to agree to anything, which likewise got him an F rating. Quote, the blame game simply does not work. He cannot blame Republicans. He made a promise of unity. He said he was going to govern by bringing people together, by making compromise. He has failed here. His comments that we need to address voting rights by not voting for Republicans got him a D from independents. Quote, Independents were really concerned that he's calling into question the legitimacy of elections, but Republicans were really, really concerned. They're saying that this is a threat to democracy, much like Democrats said about Donald Trump. Biden also claimed that COVID had little impact on education, a claim which even Democrats gave him a C. Quote, The way he pushes back and was saying it's not really an issue makes people say, You don't understand me. You seem out of touch. And that's not something that people have said about Biden before. He's seeming very, very much like he's in the Washington, D.C. bubble and not living in the world that the rest of us are. Do you have children or nieces or nephews? Are you homeschooling or just want to counter some of the socialist indoctrination most children get in school? If so, go to bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins and you'll be taken to a website where you can get some great books for elementary age children. The Tuttle Twins books are books about liberty and free market economics that include children's versions of Bastiat's The Law, Leonard Reed's I Pencil, and Hayek's The Road to Serfdom, as well as books about the Federal Reserve and how regulations protect business cronies. They'll learn about the harm caused by eminent domain or regulations passed in the name of safety and fundamental concepts of liberty. And as you can see from the sample pages on the website, they're all easy to read and nicely illustrated. They're just $9.99 a piece, or get a special discount as well as free bonuses when you purchase all five. You can even buy in bulk to donate to schools and local libraries. So get the Tuttle Twins books at bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins. <laughs> And now it's time to photo-ionize this week's biggest bogan emitter. One of the big headlines going around is a letter from 270 doctors calling out Joe Rogan as a, quote, menace to public health and calling for Spotify to cancel his podcast. No word on how many of them were named Steve. They claim that Rogan, quote, has a concerning history of broadcasting misinformation, particularly regarding the COVID-19 pandemic. By allowing the propagation of false and societally harmful assertions, Spotify is enabling its hosted media to damage public trust in scientific research and sow doubt in the credibility of data-driven guidance offered by medical professionals. They also said, quote, We are calling on Spotify to take action against the mass misinformation events which continue to occur on its platform. As physicians, we bear the arduous weight of a pandemic that has stretched our medical systems to their limits and only stands to be exacerbated by the anti-vaccination sentiment woven into this and other episodes of Rogan's podcast. Turns out, 
That claim is pants on fire. Jordan Schachtel examined this list of 270 doctors and found that most of them actually weren't. In fact, only about a hundred of them even have an MD, and most of those aren't even practicing physicians, but work in academia. So, it turns out, people accusing others of spreading misinformation are themselves spreading misinformation. Who to thunk? Schachtel wrote, Paradoxically, the disseminators of this petition are guilty of the very misinformation label that they've attached to Rogan. In fact, neither of the two reported co-authors of the letter, Jessica Rivera and Ben Ryan, possess medical degrees. Rivera holds a master's degree, and Ryan is a Ph.D. academic who researches psychiatry. The letter is also signed by 50 Ph.D. academics, 60 or so college professors, 29 nurses, 10 students, 4 medical residents, and even some podcast hosts. Yes, podcast hosts. These people are no more clinical physicians than I am. I thought it was supposed to be a bad thing when people who weren't physicians pretended to be physicians. Silly me. Quote, Notably, there is no information on who or what group is behind the creation and circulation of the open letter. Rivera, the reported lead author of the letter, is associated with the far-left Rockefeller Foundation and The Atlantic, and she is a CNN contributor. Of course, no one in the mainstream media or in the censorship wing of big tech did anything to verify that the people who signed the letter as physicians were, in fact, physicians. They just credulously passed it along as fact because it fit their agenda. Of course, they also spent months claiming the Great Barrington Declaration is misinformation, even though it's been signed by over 46,000 medical practitioners, 460 times as many as this open letter. In addition, it's been signed by 15,700 medical and public health scientists, in addition to nearly 860,000 concerned citizens. A declaration panned as pseudoscience, even though it promotes the very method that eradicated the first SARS from the planet without a vaccine. Can there be any doubt left that this is nothing but establishment propaganda from start to finish? So all of that gets the news media and big tech named this week's Biggest Bogani Meter. I want to tell you about the eyeglasses I've been wearing for years. As people can see on my videos, I have a very strong prescription, which makes glasses more expensive, especially when I need computer glasses, reading glasses, prescription sunglasses, and most expensively, progressive lenses for general everyday wear. To save money while still getting quality glasses, I get them from Fermu. In fact, I just got a pair of progressives with high-index aspherical lenses and a nice pair of frames my wife loves for just over $100. It would have been $500 to get them through my eye doctor. Not only do they look good, the glasses are durable. I've worn many pairs for several years without problems. All orders come with a 30-day return policy, a 3-month warranty, and one-on-one -on -one customer service. Go to Firmu, that's F-I-R-M-O-O dot Bogosity dot TV, anytime you need quality glasses at a low price. Once again, that's Firmu dot Bogosity dot TV. And now let's polemicize this week's... Idiot Extraordinary! Extraordinary. 
And this week it goes to publishing giant Axel Springer, the largest media publishing house in Europe, for losing a ridiculous lawsuit against the makers of Adblock Plus, who said that their ad blocker was, get this, copyright infringement. The claim was so stupid, even a European court threw it out. Axel Springer, which owns such outlets as Built and Develt, sued Adblock Plus company IOGMBH for interfering with their business model. After going all the way up to the German Supreme Court in April 2018, IO was found not to be in breach of competition law. The fact that it made it all the way up to the Supreme Court should tell you everything you need to know about how bogus competition laws are, but anyway. So in 2019, Axel Springer sued again, this time under Europe's onerous and wide-reaching copyright laws, claiming that the software, quote, changed the programming code of websites, thus directly accessing the legally protected offer of publishers. They were able to make this stupid argument because of another stupid argument the European courts held back in 2012, where it found that software capable of changing code in a Sony PlayStation Portable to enable cheats was infringing because it was a revision of the software, even though it wasn't in any way redistributed. It's a bit like suing someone for writing in the margin of a book they purchased. But here, it's even stupider, because nothing about Adblock Plus, or any other ad blocker for that matter, makes any changes to the code of a website. Axel Springer claims that the software interferes with the display of copyrighted content in a browser, but the Hamburg Regional Court has handed down a ruling that that just isn't copyright infringement. Quote, The defendants have not infringed the plaintiff's rights to the programs for creating the web pages. The defendants are not together with the respective user, accessories to copyright infringement. HTML files and other elements of a web page are loaded into the user's memory when a web page is accessed, but the user has the publisher's consent to do so. Adblock Plus doesn't change any of that code, only how it is ultimately displayed. Only a change to the program itself would be an infringement. But the program is way back on the server, way beyond the reach of Adblock Plus or any other browser extension. The court said that if they ruled with Axel Springer, it would represent a, quote, disproportionate encroachment on the freedom of users to make various choices, including not loading images to save bandwidth, or to deactivate scripting, or to block trackers or malware. It would also declare that translation tools and aids for the visually impaired would count as infringing, although we've actually seen that before. Of course, the real reason why this should be allowed is that if you own the device, you should have absolute 100% control over what is and is not allowed to run on it. But governments always put the needs of their big corporate cronies over the principles of individual property rights. Till Fida, CEO of IO, said, quote, The Hamburg Regional Court sets an important precedent here. No company has the right to prohibit users from setting their own browser settings. The ruling also gives many companies the legal certainty they need to continue developing applications that change users' lives for the better. Axel Springer has said they'll appeal, because of course they will. So now it's going to the same court that ruled on the PlayStation case. They're also the ones who said that downloading YouTube videos is a circumvention of copyright protections. Maybe they figure the fix is already in. Time will tell. Of course, it might be a lot cheaper for them to just make the ads a lot easier for users to deal with, not intrusive, not loaded with trackers and malware, not auto-playing audio and video, and not slowing down the browser. 
So all of that makes Axel Springer this week's Idiot Extraordinary. Well, that wraps up this If I Wanted to Talk to a Vegetable, I Would Have Bought One at the Market edition of the Bogosity Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please go to donate.bogosity.tv for several ways to support and discord.bogosity.tv to join the discussion. Subscribe at Patreon or Subscribestar, and you can listen early and ad-free. Thank you for listening. Next week is the fifth weekend in the month, so that means no podcast. We'll see you in two weeks. Until then, here's a quote from Pat Condell. There's nothing liberal, intelligent, enlightened, civilized, or progressive about shutting somebody up because you don't want other people to hear their opinions. The Bogosity Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 4.0 international license. Bogosity. We live in a world where light bulbs connect to the internet, and recent attacks on them prove that your online security is under threat like never before. Not only your websites, but the internet-enabled devices you buy. And the biggest problem is weak passwords. That's why you need LastPass. LastPass allows you to randomly generate strong, unique passwords on the web and on your internet-enabled devices, all protected by one master password. LastPass sets up in minutes and gives you secure automatic logins throughout the web, synchronizing across all your browsers, all your computers, and even your mobile devices, at home, at work, or on the road. It even securely stores sensitive form data, including credit card numbers, backup sensitive documents, software licenses, Wi-Fi logins, and more. And with LastPass Premium, you can get these benefits on other applications, manage passwords for your entire family, and also get priority customer support. Sign up at password.bogosity.tv for a free month of LastPass Premium. Log in securely everywhere using the last password you'll ever have to remember. Go to password.bogosity.tv and get LastPass now.